2: Uh, good Monday morning, brothers and sisters, kings and queens, angels and saints, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I'm your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us. And I do really hope that you had a wonderful weekend. Uh, so this day snuck up on me, caught me off guard, but um, thanks to... God, and uh, just some good people, uh, we're ready to have a conversation, and I'm going to put the number out there so you can join the conversation, too, 516-387-1944 is the number, and we are talking the March on Washington, which was 60 years ago on this date, and want to kind of figure out where we stand, what's going on, so we have with us immigration attorney Nadine Brown, the warrior princess, good morning, Nadine.
3: Good
2: morning. And we have with us the Reverend Charles Blackman. Good morning, sir. How are you?
1: Good morning. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing quite well, and thank you both for taking the time out. And like I said, we're inviting everybody else. We know everybody probably has something to say. so. Did did you remember, first of all, I'm gonna ask um I'm gonna ask Nadine first. Um, you know, I'm I'm still here on the chivalrous side, so ladies first. Did you remember, did you know if the news hadn't mentioned it, um, would you have thought about it?
3: Probably not, but with everything going on it's always to be abreast of what is going on in the world. So, um I wasn't a part of the movement. Uh, My family migrated to the U.S. many years later. But as a student of history and just being aware of what's going on, um, the news kept me abreast. And so that's kind of what um, tickled me as far as the the anniversary.
2: What about you, Reverend Blackman?
1: Well, I think I may be a little bit like... um, Attorney Brown, um, I I watched the news. I did catch a bit of it, and being that it's 60 years that matches my age, I was a couple of months old. So sometimes these things kind of slip away and get out of you, and that's probably why we're dealing with this today. But it didn't catch the attention that I think it probably should have. I, I would say that. I would say it did not. But but it should have called more attention.
2: Yeah, I I, I agree, um, and, I, I you know, I struggle these days. When, when I was working in news a little bit more, regular news, I, I kept up on stuff a lot more, um, so I, it did slip up on me because I, I wanted to be more prepared to have the discussion um, and to really, you know, kind of look back, you know, a little bit more on, on the history of the um, March on, on Washington because there's so many different unique perspectives you know, you still have a few people who were there. You have people who had family members and, and friends, um, people that they know that were there, um, you know. And, and then the thing about it is we kind of would like to talk about maybe it, what the impact was. Did it change anything? Which, you know, I I think it maybe at least keeps the conversation Um, front and center. But my concern is, are we still just having conversations or are we actually seeing or have we actually seen change? And And the reason I say that, you know, I'm sure there has been, but there's always something that, you know, kind of, you know, shakes, I guess, gets you out of your comfort zone. Um, I just had a conversation uh, on Friday with um, our CEO of the network, Princess Cooper, and I brought up uh, the situation in Bunnell, Florida, where the African-American students were singled out to talk about how poorly they were doing with their grades. Um, And then the hazing over in Vieira, Florida, Um, And I I personally hate to see Florida in a bad light. I never just thought that Florida would be, you know, this kind of front and center on issues like this. But between those two and the struggle in terms of um, the African-American studies, you know, and then the struggle uh, with uh, affirmative action kind of being sliced. away, You know, I am wondering what, why, why, Sixty years later, when all other kinds of battles and wars have been fought, and you know things have been dealt with, that we're still dealing still dealing with issues like this. So, Reverend Blackman, I'm going to turn this over to you first.
1: Well, it's, it's amazing when we always look at um, things that we're dealing with, and we and I hear that question a lot. Why are we still dealing with these things still today? We hear that a lot. But one thing you have to know is history. And the things we're dealing with today, if you look back over 2,000 years ago, we dealt with them in a different aspect. The challenges of human rights, equality is nothing new, and I believe it will be a part of our life for eternity because you know, I am representing the clergy. And biblically speaking, when you read the history, it has been in its place. Jesus Christ himself was a victim of what we would call uh, racism, humanitarian efforts. So it's been with us. So to say why we're dealing with it is part of our lives. But what we must be concerned with is how we deal with it. And the, and accept and the fact that it will be a part I think what we really do, we try to fix something and leave it and go on to something else. But there are some things, uh, uh, Sister Gretchen, that's going to be a part of us all throughout our lives. So if we adjust ourselves to live and deal with it, we probably can do a better job. That's why we will forget about the March on Washington because it was something that was thought to be done, fix it, and leave it. But, but if you go back to the purpose of it, you'll understand that it's not a fix-and-done thing. It's a part of us, and we must understand that and live with it, that it's a part of us to successfully address it. That's that's, that's the view I see from right now. Attorney Brown, what are are your
2: thoughts? So I'd be in
3: agreement with the Reverend um, and highlight that Bible passage that my people perish for lack of knowledge, and I think it's, designed by forces at work, powers that be, that if we're kept in darkness, um, both of our own history as human beings and as, you know, Africans in the diaspora, then we're going to perish. And so if we're disconnected from our own history and the history of the country in which we live, then there are other forces that will be more successful at keeping us, continually disconnected so inundated in the news with everything else but the fact that this is a monumental historical event that we should uh, mark as a milestone and kind of chart our progress as human beings and also as minority people in a majority or previously majority you know white uh colonial power, so it's one of those things where um, we're disconnected by design and also just because of where we are in the history of technology um, is my opinion on, on those, but people perish for lack of knowledge, and if you're disconnected from your own history and your own understanding of where you are in the world and in, and in time, whether it's from you mark it by 2,000 years ago or, you know,
2: you know, before Christ, then you're always going to be lost. So the, one of the things that I you know, keep seeing or keep hearing is, is this is the March on Washington or was the watch March on Washington for jobs and freedom. And I want to kind of talk a little bit about the jobs thing <laughs> because it seems to me that even though there has been a, a great deal of progress made, that in certain jobs we as people of color and especially African-Americans or black people still tend to lead or hold, you know, the majority in jobs that are, um, you know, tasks such as housekeeping, such as, you know, hotel, um, you know, maintenance type of things, such as uh, restaurants. in, in, in less, I guess you could say service jobs. Which I mean, God knows we do need good people in service jobs, and we do we do a good job. But it just seems to me that we, in terms of numbers, we still make up the you know the large portion of those numbers. And you you know you you when you go places, this is what you see. For example, there are places that you go or hotels that you'll go, and you'll see the guests in a lot of, in some cases where you see predominantly. Caucasians, maybe, or people, you know, of other ethnicities. But in the service positions, you see a lot more people of of color than you would of of Caucasian descent. And I keep wondering why isn't it, I guess, a better balance? I'd like to see, okay, if we're X percentage of the population, then we should be, you know, that same percentage in terms of these jobs and those jobs all, all across the board.
3: So I would like to, you know, speak about that specific issue uh, only Mm -hmm. because the March on Washington was about not just freedom, but as you accurately stated, you know, for jobs. And why is that? Because the fundamental reasons that Africans were brought to the states, slavery was for free labor, right? So every time we start that argument about, you know, racial equality, um, we have to go back to the the motivation as to why it happened. We're thinking we're discriminated against just because of the nature of our skin, which is true, but the fundamental underlying premise is that we were a free labor force, you know, captive, um, involuntary. Uh, and so the job component is critical to why we were marching and why we are striving for equality and economic freedom. And to your point about you know service industry um lower economic rung is because we were seen as free labor or the lowest paid labor until more immigrants and immigrants of color came in and then it's okay we can undercut their wages and and um engage in wage theft you know why the you know department of commerce and the commerce clause was instrumental in the passing of the civil rights um Uh, legislation uh, so much equal to the Equal Protection Clause and the 15th Amendment, but primarily the Commerce Clause. And why is that? Because it's fundamentally an issue of labor. Um, Who we can pay, who we should pay, what jobs are available to us, um, how we get a part of the economic pie and achieve the American dream. Um, So I think it's part and parcel that we have to dissect and go back to the motivation as to how and why we got here and to how and why the civil rights movement is, you know, critical to our progress as people, not just of our human rights, but our economic power.
1: Reverend Blackman, your thoughts? Well, I I was sitting there plundering uh, much of the things that, um, Attorney Brown was saying and looking at, let's go back to what we began saying about the reason. The reason the march, you said, was in 1963, which approximately 200,000 people gathered for for that that event, Uh, and it was there because, as you say, they were pursuing two basic things, you know, the the jobs and and inequality for civil rights. What are we looking for now? See, that's the purpose. Is whatever you do, it has to be driven by your purpose for it. And I think they estimated seventy-five thousand people will be there Saturday. I'm not sure whether they met those numbers or not. So, the the purpose of gathering, the purpose of what we're doing, drives everything that we do now. And I want to go back when um. Attorney Brown said about the technology. I believe that the march on Washington was significant. I believe that it probably should be star level significant. But with the amount of technology we have and the mass communication, it was not. It wasn't communicated to the level that it was a household, every station thing. That indicates right there there's an issue. Is the passion still there? Is the problem still the same? Are we addressing? So that would bring me to where your concern is about um, the demographics of those that are at are, are, are our persuasion that are not getting equal jobs, not working service jobs. Well, let me give you what I read, something I read. The, the, the 60th anniversary of March on Washington, it says seeking the energy of the original movement of civil rights. We take two steps forward and they make us take one step back. That caption alone makes us continue to be a victim. If we continue to be a victim, we're never gonna rise. We have greater resources than we had in 1963. We have greater technology, we have greater mindsets. So until we rise above, you're gonna always have opposition. Amen. I was looking at a slogan that says success is rendered by the opposition rendered. We have greater uh, opposition, but we have greater mindsets. We have some of the smartest young people in the world. We have the greatest. But what it has to mean is that it has to become a passion again, a household event, not just an annual thing, not anything. I'll leave with this on this particular thing here that Jesus had dealt with his disciples, he told them these words right here. And he said to them, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Daily. The things that we're facing cannot be dealt with annually. They cannot be handled. We would never change the demographics of servanthood versus leaderhood on on an annual basis. It must be dealt with daily. We must deal with it on a daily basis. Yes, we must teach it, but our households do not match what our national crisis say in their terms of communicating, sharing, and teaching. It's not the same. That's one of our challenges. This is, it has to be a daily thing. Okay,
2: We're going to take a quick break. And I, when, you come, when we come back, I do want to address that aspect of communication. I mean, we just, in general, I think our society kind of does a poor job Anyway. But, you know, with, with something of this type of significance, there should have been better communication. Uh, so we're going to yes. talk a little bit about that when we get back. If you want to join the conversation, the number is 516-387-1944. <laughs> Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. wedding, reception, family reunion, planning a banquet, or some other fundraising event. Need to share your knowledge through a workshop or seminar, or it's a difficult time and you need to plan a wake or repast, let us help. At Our Gatherings, let us reduce the stress and make the occasion memorable, treasured. Call Our Gatherings at 407-968-9387 or email gatherings at yahoo.com. Let us help plan your special event. Good morning. Welcome back to G's Power Hour. I never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today, the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington. And we have here with us Attorney Nadine Brown and Reverend Charles, Charles Lackman. And if you want to join the conversation, number is 5163871944. And, yes, I, I graduated in communications, um, and I still don't do the best of jobs. But with the resources that we have at our disposal right now, I mean, we can share all kinds of stories with each other and jokes and funny videos and, and all of this type of stuff. And admittedly, on my part, I am not, you know, on social media a whole lot unless it is business or with regards to the show. But I would have liked to have, when I logged on to something in the, at least the last week or so, have had some things hit me in the face prior to Saturday's uh, commemoration um, of the March on Washington. And I, it, it caught me off guard. I hate to say this. I'm, I'm embarrassed. Uh, and so with these resources at our disposal, why is it that, you know, they talk about the thousands that turned out Uh, 60 years ago, well, I mean, if you look at the growth of the population, shouldn't we have had at least over a million people turn out for this, not thousands for this? I'm not sure exactly what the numbers were on Saturday, but I would think with our population growth and with the communication resources at our disposal, there should have been so much more of an outpouring so give me your thoughts, and I'm going to start with you since you brought it up a few minutes ago, Reverend Blackman. What is it? Why wasn't the word out there? I mean, for example, I'm, just, I'm going to ask you because the clergy seemed to be very prominent in the 60s with the march and with the Civil Rights Movement. Was this something that you knew about? Did you announce it in your pulpit and would you have had you known?
1: Some people I always I always take responsibility while I come up short. And there are some things that I should have been aware of and I did not based on, you know, whatever else became more important to me at that time. I practiced trying to share things to the community that are, are, are prevalent to us and that we remain because one thing I faith tell the church we're facing now, we're faced to be staying relevant because of, of for reasons people don't want the church to be relevant because it is impactful. So in that, we have to communicate. Let me go back, and if I could just throw this scripture in here, Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 and 1 said, Finally, my brethren, joy to the Lord. But he said this, to write the same things to you, to me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. What he did, he repetitionally sent out things. He repetitionally communicated things. I think that the owners, we have to take owner for the, for the information. We have to take owner for the, for the, the calls. We get text. I get text from all kinds of things now. Somewhere in this process, that it, that that the owners of keeping this alive. I'm not blaming nobody. I'm not. We definitely don't want to blame nobody. There's media, but we have to do and treat it like politicians treat their things. I can get it, I can know when voting is going on in Washington state. I can know when this is going on. They're getting it to us. Get it reminding us, because we all are trying to accomplish the same thing. I think there has to be a uh, professional uh, gra- gravity in the communication level that it does not become something that's posted on, on, in one spot in one time. So that could help. Not blaming, it, but, but I can say it could truly help if we can put in the emphasis, and it takes money to do these things. Well, I know that. So I will say this from a clergy, if we can get it, we will give it. If we remember it, we're not going to remember everything, but I promise you, if it comes to my door, it's going to somebody else's table. So for that part, I would say we have to get this continuously repeated. We should, about a month, two months out, this is coming. A month out, this is coming. Take a blurt on the news. That's my take on that, not blaming. We all take the responsibility for it. attorney brown i would say that
3: there's at least um three particular issues when it comes to the technology is one there's still a digital divide that we may use our devices um you know to get information but not many of us use it to provide information um the second is that um you know there's like dispersed leadership. I mean, we had movements for the protest on, you know, police brutality, defunding the police or being active in our communities when it comes to the violence, but not a comprehensive political movement um that we had seen in years past with um the you know, the whole Barack and that was like a blip on the screen and now we're back to Um, What it is, and we're in a new election cycle. So there is a digital divide. There's, uh, you know, disbursement, and and I think lack of concentrated leadership in a political um, perspective. Even though we have people, you know, uh, voter awareness. Um, but then there's also that you know entertainment everybody's on their devices being entertained more on social media than they are becoming aware and even though there's that subtle um, informational you know out- outpost of getting things, it's not always. Um, correct information, so we need to, you know, fact check our sources um, and just be become more aware as people. Um, also in the church, you know, there's that divide of church and state and, and people are more concentrated on saving souls than they are getting people to the polls or becoming activists or aware of what civil rights and human rights um, aspect uh, like the liberation theology of like the 1970s. So that was a period of history where people were motivated because of... Definitely distracted uh, and just unaware.
2: Okay, so this is the conspiracy theorist in me. That is uh, about to speak, but isn't it ironic that we are having some sort of technical difficulties where the audio keeps going in and out um, on this show mm-hmm. when we are talking about something of this kind of significance? And and I'm saying the the conspiracy theorist in me because <laughs> last night now there's a show that I really like called Dark Winds. It's um it's a Native American based show. Okay and. I we had technical difficulties throughout half the show okay where it went out but if you turned to another channel um on we have spectrum I'm just putting it out there if you turned to another channel um those shows did not have any type of interference um so I don't know if it was spectrum I don't know if it was AMC I don't know what it was but it just it was just ironic you know, it was just weird, weird to my husband and I that this show that we're trying to watch that, uh, the, you know, and it doesn't necessarily put um, pe- people, uh, you know, of uh, Caucasian descent in the best of light sometimes, okay? so But it just right. seemed ironic that this was the show that had the interference, but the other shows were fine. So – My show is now having some technical difficulties. I don't know about anybody else's, but I'm just saying.
1: But I'm just putting that out there. If you like, like, allow I would like to make a comment on that as well. Yeah, go ahead, please. what, What I what I was this drives us back to where, okay? How can two walk together unless they agree? What we are understanding, you know, you're saying that everybody may not agree with your viewpoint right now. There's conspiracy theory that is to in, in prevent your, your thoughts and your feelings from going forward. Well, that may be something that's hurting, may have hurt this uh, March on Washington, and maybe some of the other things that we're dealing with from the civil rights standpoint. And I won't put the church um, outside of the arena, because if you look at your spectrum of what civil rights now cover it covers things that everybody may not be embracing. We're struggling with, 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 with LGBTQ. We're struggling with that in the church. We're struggling with that in, in the community. We're struggling with some of the other things that are coming into the civil rights movement. So we may be hurting ourselves, and maybe some of the communication that's going may, I wouldn't say not be on purpose, but but it's not promoted because we're not in agreement. Some people are not in agreement. For the conspiracy theory to be effective in what you're saying, it means that somebody's not in agreement with what you're sharing. And we have to look at that, too. We have to address those things because you're asking, why is it not being communicated? Why is it not known? Well, that a level agreement. In 1963, you can rest assured everybody was on the same agreement of what we was watching in Washington for. The civil rights was clearly defined in agreement from our persuasion that, and even from other persuasions, they, they agreed. Now we don't always agree in what we look at. Just for thoughts.
3: But the civil rights movement was sort of like a cooperative result of different groups getting together. So I'm not sure I completely mm-hmm. understand what the reverend was talking about as far as like the civil rights movement was not just about, you know you know African American mobility i mean you had jewish communities that were allies um you had the uh unionists that were also allies that that helped because it's like we can't do things by ourselves i mean even though we may have seemed to be victims of of history in the respect that you know a lot of us started out as slaves and then from there Um, evolved and now we're still at the the bottom rung of the sociopolitical network but it's like we can't do things without allies so if the church is hiccuping because of lgbtq issues and it's like the bible says who whosoever believes in me means whosoever irrespective of condition irrespective of birthright irrespective of socioeconomic status then it's whosoever Mm -hmm. means whosoever and that we're We should all be allies, regardless of what our particular issues are, because civil rights is human rights.
1: And and, and I want her to be clearly. I totally agree. But what we, if we're going to deal with something, we need to deal it from the elephant in the room. But everybody don't agree with you, Renato. That's the concern. Everybody doesn't have have to agree, though. Correct. But, but when you're going to look at problems, you got to look at why the problems are coming. Not that we can fix it, but we're facing problems that we had more of a unity in agreement in 63 than we probably do now. We shouldn't have. We should have more now. But because of other people's various thoughts, because every people have their opinion now, before, I think, we in 63, I think we were more cohesive. And if we can become more cohesive, we can be able to now get to what we're looking for, answers to this, that in next year when we look at the, this march, it will be communicated. It will be done. So I, I definitely want you to understand that I'm with you. I agree with you. I, and, and, and I definitely know the church is not the weak link in the problem by itself, but there are so many different viewpoints of people. Because you can go to another persuasion right now, and they may tell you we don't have a civil rights problem. Some will say that, but you and I both know that's true. That's not true, but we, we then we had a more of a visible standpoint, and we agreed that there were that that was that's what I'm trying. I was sharing, but we have to come to one accord to become better and successful at communicating this. We have to.
2: We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to talk about the pros and cons of desegregation. Um, and, you know, how it may have impacted uh, us going forward uh, from the 60s. So this is G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment, and we will be right back.
0: This is Douglas Dobbs of Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community for 29 years with quality funeral and cremation services. Honoring all religions and faiths. we have been here for many grieving families whether it's a complete funeral service with a burial or a simple dignified cremation, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here for you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720. Dobbs, dedicated to serving our families. Hi, I'm Tim Garris. Uh, you may know me as Timmy G. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's been two decades, but I want you to know I'm back in the argument and I've got a mix of music that can help you relax and chill out. It's smooth. It's relaxing. It's Chill Out Jazz. The soulful mix of smooth jazz, soul, and smooth R&B. So join me every Wednesday night, 10 p.m. to midnight, on KHAM Radio. Are you chillin'?
2: Good afternoon. Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today on this 60th anniversary of the March on Washington. We are here with Attorney Nadine Brown and Reverend Charles Blackman. And if you have questions or comments, you want to join the conversation, the number is 516-387-1944. And I want to put this out there because as God wants us to be one people. We think that, you know, desegregation was kind of supposed to be, I guess, the answer um, and, and bring us all together and, and uh, help uplift African-American people. Uh, and it, it, I tend to say that not necessarily in all cases. The grass, I think the the thing was people thought that the grass was greener on the other side per se. And, in some cases, it may have been you know there were you know they did the desegregation effort to make education equal across the board for for all children you know including African American children um, I tend to say that it should have been done with a little bit more thought and a little bit more moderation and a little bit more input and insight from all parties concerned, especially african Americans. Uh, Just for the simple reason that in efforts to mesh cultures and societies together and stuff like that, African Americans lost out on some things, I think. When we talk about jobs and we talk about black-owned businesses, and yes, there were certain struggles because let's say you weren't big enough to purchase stuff wholesale. But, you know, I I tend to think that those small black businesses that existed back in the 60s and whatever were, because they were struggling so much and because they were attuned to the difficulty in African American communities getting good service and, you know, proper goods, that they were more attentive. You know, you got better customer service, and I could be wrong. But I think you got a little bit more personalized um, service uh, and, and thought put into what you were getting than, you know, than now where, you know, I look at, for example, Church Street, you know, and I know the businesses that were there when I grew up and how businesses have become displaced. I have a cousin that used to have a barbershop on Church Street. Um, now half of Church Street in certain parts is taken up by this big soccer arena, you know, and I want to know where to find my fish market, you know. I want to find. I want to know where to find the theater that I used to go to in downtown Orlando as, as a you know child and a teenager, uh, you know. And a lot of those places that used to serve our communities are not there, or have been absorbed, or have you know been moved and and not allowed to thrive the way they used to. Um, So tell me what your thoughts are in terms of was desegregation as beneficial to the African American community as it was supposed to be? And I'm going to start with you, Attorney Brown.
3: So I'm going to go from a big picture perspective that, yes, it was on an individualized, you know, personal basis. There's always going to be pros and cons. But when you think about um, it's not so much, you know, the uh, individual cost benefits, but overall as a people, if it's access, an equal access to things, then I would say yes. And again, at the end of the day, it's the economic power base that we have in in segregated communities. It's black-owned businesses, you know, um, and black patronage. But then when you open it up, it's everybody that has money that can um, patronize your business and, and pay, and whether or not they have personal biases, implicit biases that prevent them from, uh, going to your store, or your shop, or your fish market, then that's a, their problem, and you just need to market to other types of people. Um, you know, the whole education of neighborhoods and what have you, and it's about their economic power base. And I think that overall, when I look at education, And I was bused. I came uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, and so I was a product of busing, and I did not understand the whole history and the context of history until I was in high school and college as to how the civil rights movement came about and, you know, why it was that these things were happening, whether I was living in a ghetto because I was an immigrant or an immigrant of color, you know, part of the African diaspora, and then going to white schools across town. But... Lives, or these are the things that could also be available to me and not to limit where I could go just because of where I came from. Um, so in that respect, I would say big picture-wise as a people that we have gained um, on the individual level for small businesses, maybe not so much, but that's pros and cons of everything. And, and with society shifting the way that it is, that people just need to learn to adapt um, to overcome or you stay stagnant. And that's just an economic principle, period, irrespective of your color or your national origin or whatever. There are hindrances because people don't patronize because of their racism um, or their prejudice. But overall, I would say that, yes, um, segregation has helped to our benefit because we're not going anywhere. I mean, the whole Back to Africa movement, unless you're going to go back to Liberia library or wherever you thought you came from, if you're tracing your right now.
2: Reverend Blackman, are you there? We, we are still experiencing some uh, technical difficulties in and out. I'm not sure why, but go ahead, please, sir, if you're there. Okay. Um,
1: I Wait, don't know can what... Can you hear me now? Yeah, can hear, I can hear, hear you just, now. Hear yeah, now? go ahead, please. Okay, all right. We're fading it out. I agree with us economically. I'm listening to what, what what Attorney Brown said. When it comes to economics, there's going to be what we call collateral damage, and 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 a session for it. Individually, I think she we we're in the same place. Um, I am from the South, dead South, Mississippi is worst South you can get. I came at the beginning, at the end, definitely passed, uh the segregation. They was already busing. But when I look at now, when I go back to those same communities and towns, not ghetto, ghetto is different from country. And I look at the schools that the average schools are, are definitely almost 30 miles to some 40 to get to schools. I mean, you, 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 it can't help but say it hurts something for, if we talk about education. And when it, it did, there is some hurting. When we look at the amount of people that um, trade, the focus on having the jobs, blue-collar segregation, versus our young people now don't understand what a trade is, being able to carpenters, um, um, electricians, those type of things, it, it it did hurt. I believe it definitely hurt in in, in areas of aspect. You know, it, it, it may have globally done some things to help us, but I'm I'm at the grassroots. I'm down at the level. I'm in the community where I see the people day to day. So I see the hurt or or the the side effects probably more than some. But coming from the country. It really helped us, and this is from someone that's saying that the two are the greatest help I got in being where I am now. Came from a Caucasian teacher. The inspiration I got to be where I am now came from a, 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 a Caucasian teacher. So I don't think it has to me to do with color that I'm feeling this. It has to do with this side effects of of, of what we call desegregation. That's my viewpoint. We It, it definitely hurts in a lot of ways. Okay, so how do we and the thing about it,
2: the thing I love about this conversation right now is the two of you, you know, don't necessarily 100% agree, you know, you're not in lockstep, you know, on everything, but you're in, in accord with the basics in terms of, you know, what's going on with the African American community. And and that's what I think is very important is that we have to get past um, some of the groundwork that history laid in our community in terms of people in different people's ears trying to tell you, you know, why, you know, you shouldn't uh, work with that person or you shouldn't talk to that person or communicate certain information to that That person. I mean, that's kind of what caused slave. Part of what caused slavery in the first place was some some people in somebody's ear saying, "Hey, you know, it's better if your sister and brothers are chained and sent over to uh, the Americas and other places so that they could work for somebody else um, and um, get away from, you know, all of what is perceived to be wrong with your (laughs) your um, country in Africa." You know, Um, I just I. You know, I think that we have to say, okay, I don't 100% agree with you, but we have to be on accord in order for both – on the basics in order for all of us to progress. And this isn't just within the African-American community. This isn't just within the minority community, but this is the human race as a whole – I mean, that's why we're seeing things in terms of what's going on in Ukraine and some other uh, places around the globe. We have, to, we, we have to go back to honing our communication skills. We have to go back to understanding that it's okay to be different, and we've we got to go back to understanding that God deliberately made us different, and that's okay. Now how do we come together and, and move forward? You know, and I think we have. There's a in terms of the black community, we have to get together and say, okay, you know, I don't necess. I wouldn't necessarily operate in the same way you would, and vice versa. But what do we have in common that we can share and help each other to move forward and not only serve ourselves but our community as a whole? So, I think we've really got to work on on having conversations, and then because my problem is, it's nice to have the conversation, but then what is the action plan? What is the step? What is the first step? And um, so I I think we have to have those. When we come back, though, I want to talk about, you know, how we come together and how we make progress and how we present a united front so that our youth can, you know, we can set an example for our youth and they can go forward and do what's necessary to, um, you know, preserve, you know, our our African American heritage, our American heritage, and, um, you know, get us some progress in the way of of jobs and freedom. This is G's Power Hour. I never had It so good entertainment, and we will be right back. <laughs>
0: dedicated to serving our families.
3: Over the past 60 years, Dove Beauty Bar's superior formula has remained unchanged. But when it comes to beauty, everything changed. Together, we redefined beauty. We said no to stereotypes and yes to every type. We let go of judgments and embraced what makes us unique. We're proud
2: to have been there with you, caring for you every step of the way. Years to the next 60 years. Good afternoon. Welcome back to G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. Please remember that it is uh, Black Business Month. Still Black Business Month. And, you know, maybe go to lunch. Support uh, Black business. You know, y'all need to get your hair done or whatever before or after the holidays. Uh, support a Black business. But don't just make it about this month. Please you know try to be a conscientious shopper and um diner and uh please and what other you know services are out there or goods are out there, just please try to you know give that some give that some some thought when you're spending your dollars um also, please be careful. we have a storm coming. So please be prepared. You get your medicines together. You know, um, make you know get your contact list established and all the things that you need to do to get prepared. You know, take the uh, sharp sharp objects that may go flying in the wind. Take those and you know put them away or uh, whatever you need to do. But uh, just be safe. Get you some water need to do that anyway anyway we are back with Reverend Charles Blackman and Attorney Nadine Brown and we are commemorating uh, you know the um, anniversary of the March on Washington today and uh, want to talk about how we go forward how we get our youth involved how we make it relevant to them because I don't I my fear is that they really don't understand why we are still talking about what happened 60 years ago or why we're still talking about slavery or or whatever. So, Nadine, would you go ahead, please?
3: So there's a couple points that I wanted to make before I address that specifically, and that was about the desegregation. And really for young people, it's like you can't put anything – forward until you know where you've been or put it in context. And to the point about, you know, desegregation, the pros and cons and how it's affected and may have been negative, um, we still need to put everything out there that... Um, Even when we had our communities that were thriving, there were people that were still insecure, racially motivated, jealous, and just had ill will that raised communities, that torched communities, that massacred communities, whether it's the Tulsa Massacre or it was Rosewood, Um, whether it was, you know, lynchings or what have you. So we're going to be here, whether we're in a thriving community or a not-so-thriving community, we still may be targeted or victimized just because we're other, period. So that I think needed to be stated and that we need to understand that we need to bridge the divide. And so if I'm going to use Bible also as context that Jesus came to save not just the Jews but the Gentiles and he came for the whosoever so that we need to bridge the Samaritan and the Jew. We need to to bridge everybody and for people who are young now, moving forward, we need to know where we have come so that we have a firm understanding of our own identity in the context of history. And why is it important is so that it does not repeat itself. It's like people do perish for lack of knowledge. And if you don't know where you have been, how do you know where you're going to go? So you may have your texting and your social media and you can have TikTok and you can laugh all day long, but until you come across like a police stop or you come across somebody who is being victimized at work who may not be like you, because I have encountered black people who said that they've never experienced racism, but it doesn't mean that you have to experience it for you to advocate for somebody else, to be an ally to somebody else. So it may not have happened to you, but in the context of human history, we need to know where we fall where we stand and why we need to keep going to better the united states to better our own lives that you know for our next door neighbor or for the person down the street things may not be okay and so we need to advocate and either walk beside them or you know lift them up and carry them where they need to go because we're supposed to stand in the gap and so that's what i believe as a believer but also as an attorney and so if i'm going to tell the young person why we need to know what happened that's the reason why
2: Reverend Blackman, your perspective? Well,
1: definitely, um, I, I was sitting here, and um, when you were talking earlier, the first thing I thought about was, can we communicate that we're, we're, we are we have a difference, but we're not different? If we could master that and communicate that to, to everyone in our children, the the. the the drawback and the battle that our children face is when they choose to be uh, have a have a difference, but of opinion, of thought, viewpoints. But as a human being, we're not different. I think this is where uh, our, our Attorney Brown has brought us to, and I think this is a great point for us to be able to move forward because. If we can communicate that and that become accepted, I can have a different opinion. We can have a difference. But at the end of the day, our blood is the same. It's the same color. I have family. I have a mother, father, brother. Every All of us, are we're people. And that's where I call it the sandbox effect. We were going through an issue on our job, and we were having some difference among people. And I got to explain to them. In order to correct some things, you've got to go back to the sandbox. When I was a little child in the sandbox, it didn't matter who was in the sandbox. We all were the same. We all were playing with the same sand. We all were getting dirty in the sand, and that we got up out of the sandbox. So if I, we can do anything to make this better, we have to teach our children. You can have a difference of opinion, but you're not different from nobody else from the human standpoint even with your choices, even with your bad choices, mistakes, whatever. We all are are human beings, and the key to that is that we all get to the place we got to love one another. That has been spoken and taught for centuries, but it has to be realistic. It has to become relevant and realistic and active in order for us to embrace having differences, but we're not different. You got feelings? I got feelings, I got to eat, you got to eat, I got family, you got a family. The basic is what I think that we have to tell our children. So when they get to the corporate level, see, trying to get to the corporate level, trying to become a millionaire, it doesn't make you any different from the person at the bottom. You're still human. And if if we can put that in perspective, then we're going to see a little difference. But until that, it's going to be hard. Okay, thank you.
2: And it's it's difficult when you have situations like the shooting that occurred in recent days in in, um, Jacksonville, Florida, at the Dollar General, Uh, and and not just that one, but just too many of them. Whether it's racially motivated or not, um, there's something broken inside of some people, and we need to reach out with love and and grace and understanding to try to see, you know, why these people are so broken that they feel like they have to break other people, why they have to kill them, why they have to destroy families. Um, You know, it's, it's, we've got to figure out what is going on. And this person, I believe they said it was, was 20 years old or or whatever. So um, how is it that this person with, with not, a lot of life experience and had no record uh, except the only they had uh, I guess one involuntary um, I guess mental hospitalization or something for this person when they were maybe 12 but nothing now and then this person is 20 and this person has has destroyed uh, lives, families communities you know um, we've got to figure out how we repair the brokenness um with with our with people um starting with people um not and not just African American people but all people um, and we gotta be able to sit down and have conversations with each other um across the color lines to get a better understanding um because if we don't have those conversations, we're just going by what's presented out in the media, um what we perceive to be the case, or making assumptions that that person of color is just like a white person or vice versa or, and not, you know, so we've got to really have those conversations. Um, before we go, I'd like each of you to give me a, a minute, a quick minute and tell me, okay, what's the action plan? What should be the next step? Um, so Reverend Blackman, go ahead. I'm going to
1: start with you. Okay. I'm going to leave with where I think um, I stand at today. When I look at myself, I believe that I am where I am because of what I learned at home. I started learning at home what my parents put in me, those closest to me put in me, and it's still in me. Those are the attributes. I listen to what you thought of when you say. We think about um, a person 20 years old doing such such tragic things. You ask yourself, how can a 20-year-old get so much hatred in uh, such a short amount of time of life. And then I'd have to come back to you and say, okay, the young child that took the gun to school at such a young age and shot his teacher, how did he get that? We're going to have to start at home. I don't care what we do. I don't care how many agencies we have out here. I don't care how many people we can point to the blame. Home has to become the focus of better, better the no old adage, charity starts at home, is still true. Mm-hmm. I believe if there's going to be better, it has to start at home. Attorney
3: Brown? And I believe that it starts with our knowledge of ourselves in relation to our creator, to God, uh, because some people don't have good homes or don't come from a home that is stable um, or have a troubled home or dysfunctional home and so they may learn some of those negative and toxic behaviors and then they go out into society and don't know the, the difference or can't distinguish and I think we're a sum total of our experiences, at least I know that I am, um, but fundamentally at the end of the day it's me in context to the world around me but more so my relationship with God. Um, so for me, from my perspective, it's, you know, do I matter? Um, And how do I matter and how do I matter in relation to other people? And I think that if you don't have an understanding of that, then you're not going to treat your neighbor as yourself. You're not going to love your neighbor as yourself because you don't think God loves you and you don't know the love of God. Um, So I would say that for young Mm -hmm. people and for that gentleman who, you know, caused that tragic or anybody that takes up a gun Mm -hmm. or tries to destroy a life either actively um, or, you know, uh, covertly, it is to understand mm-hmm. your relationship to your creator and also to your neighbor.
2: Thank you, Attorney Brown, Reverend Blackman, and thank you all for listening. This has been G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment. Be well, be safe, be blessed, and please remember, all real power comes from God. Talk to you tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you.